I'm Maria, I'm Māori and Pākehā. And I'm Kate, and I'm Iranian-Australian. And you're listening to Being Biracial. It's the podcast all about navigating the world as a biracial person. Kate and I want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the unceded sovereign lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We offer our respect to the elders of these lands, past, present and those yet to come. And we also acknowledge traditional custodians from the lands wherever this podcast is reaching you. Today we are going to be chatting to each other. It's the final episode of this season of Being Biracial. We made it. We did it. Amazing. (laughs) And we actually, we're recording this um, on the eve of us being apart for three months and we inadvertently wore matching outfits. (laughs) (laughs) Like full monochrome, like home outfits in different colours that are complementary. So... (laughs) Cute little lilac, light pink moment for us. <laughs> and the second I walked in, it was just like, <laughs> how are you feeling about it being the end of this season? I think I'm gonna miss it. Mm. Like I think I'm gonna miss catching up with you in this in this way, and working on this project with this like with all of the people that we get to interview. So it's kind of bittersweet. But looking forward to having a break. What about you? What do you think? I am feeling very grateful, I think, um, for all of the stories that we've been able to hear. I think something that has been really nice for both of us is that we've just got to meet 25 people, other biracial people that we would have never otherwise had conversations with. And I think for me, there have been so many moments where completely irregardless of our mix irregardless of like all the steps that it took to get to that moment someone will say something and I'll be like oh my god (laughs) that's me we get it we get it (laughs) and like I I feel so like when we started this project when we had the like idea of creating this I never would have dreamed that we would have done what we've done in the last year and a half yeah. Like the stories that people have trusted us with, the silly moments, the joy, the giggles, the sad and things that made us angry, all of those things. I just would have never guessed that some that we could create something like this. Have there been any aha moments kind of for you? Anything in particular that stands out? Okay, I think Elena's episode, the advice that our mum gave her, not half, but double, that hit, that really hit in a way that I didn't expect. I remember sitting in the room with her and we were, and we were just like, oh, my God, what the heck? Being able to be both fully, what a powerful idea. 
is that we're not deficient in something, is that we are overflowing in two things or more. That was beautiful. Oh. What about you? Is there anything from the season that particularly stands out or that you want to talk about, Kat? Something that has come up quite a bit. um, People's parents have had a lot of feelings. Mm. And obviously we're not going to name anyone specific. I guess I would just say everybody, like almost every single person Mm. in either the lead up to the episode, like sometimes people arrive and they're like, I was just chatting to my mum because I wanted to chat about auntie whatever and like, Mm. why do we have freckles, you know? Like people have – it's really nice. Like people all of a sudden are then thinking about their family histories Mm. because they're coming to talk to us about them. So there's like a beautiful connection aspect but then I think it also is parents hearing their children talk about race and identity in a way that they may have never before. Yeah, I I guess if we're talking about other people with parents feeling weird about listening to the podcast, I gotta I gotta talk about my mum because yeah, I found out that she hasn't really been listening or like engaging with it um, at all. Ooh, yeah. So the first, I picked my mum up from the airport. hadn't seen her in like two and a half years. Obviously, super emotional. Pick her up in the, from the airport, and we're driving back to my house in my car, and mum. Kind of, I didn't mention the podcast and then she brought it up and she was like, oh, I've listened to the first episode and the episode with your brother and it's a bit close to home. And I was like, well, first of all, you listened to the wrong fucking episodes for close to home. Absolutely. <laughs> Two out of three of your children. <laughs> Where you're telling all of the stories. Girl! Like usually we're just like chatting about never have I ever. Yeah, um... <laughs> That was the wrong one. So I kind of said that. And then she followed that up with, um, there's a lot of white people this, white people that. And there, that was kind of the moment when I realised that my mum hasn't like super reckoned with being a white person and what that actually means. Like a lot of white people. And I was like, in my head, like, ah. <laughs> Like, um, get out of my car. <laughs> but, I mean, I kept it cool somehow, which is very unlike me. And I kind of just came back at that with, like, hey, you know, maybe you're not used to hearing about white people because as, like, a, a race or as, you know, a group of people because you're, you know, typically white people are the norm, are the default. And, you know, um, but you're actually not just the default race. You are actually a race of people who have, like, really fucked over everyone (laughs) and everything. Yeah. And every institution, um, you know, has its, like, scaffolding in white supremacy. And that has benefited her to no end. So I kind of was just like, hey, look, maybe you haven't thought about this before from this perspective because you used to be seen as the default and... You know, like, yeah, I'm, whereas, like, I am racialized the second that I walk into a room and you don't experience that, but I experience that every day. And then that kind of shut down that conversation in a very nice and loving way. And then I kind of spent the rest of the time that she was here, like, kind of grappling with, like, oh, my God, am I going to have to, like, race 101 my mom? Like, how am I going to do this in a in a chill way because if you know me I'm like a fucking bull in a china shop I'm like the bluntest person ever 
I, you know, and her and I've, when me and a lot of people actually have kind of got into like, not fights, but I've had moments where I have kind of bulldozed through the conversation and then like really hurt someone's feelings. So I really wanted to avoid that because I was like, it will just mean that she further disengages from this. And underneath all of this, I had like really hurt feelings, like really, really hurt feelings. We've put in a huge amount of work into this project. Like this project has been, this podcast has been going on long before we started interviewing people. We've probably been doing it for like almost two years at this point. I work full time. I bust my ass getting out being biracial episodes, getting out being biracial content. And my mum doesn't even fucking listen to it. Like, way to hurt my feelings, girl. So did you say that to her? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Of course I didn't. No. Um, what I did, I think my strategy was I didn't want to confront it head on. A, I'm not I'm pretty bad at confrontation, as I said. I'm really like kind of aggressive sometimes. So instead of doing that, I kind of just pulled her up on some comments. Like, you know, we were just watching like food TV or whatever, and something would happen on screen that I'd that we would perceive in different ways. And I would kind of bring her along on the way I saw it. And, you know, we'd kind of talk about that. She met you. Yes. And loved you. <laughs> we took her to a comedy show about Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it was a bit sexy too. <laughs> My poor mum. <laughs> Bless her. But, yeah, she, we left that, like, we were on the train home. And my mum looked at me and she was like, she is just gorgeous, isn't she? She's so lovely. And I was like, yeah, you should really fucking listen to our podcast. <laughs> Um, but by the end of it, I kind of just showed her my life and was really not reserved. Like whenever we would see something that we would see differently on TV, I would bring it up, you know, I would talk about little bits and things that had happened to me, et cetera, et cetera. By the end of it, she was kind of like, I was talking about my, <laughs> my physiotherapist. She listens to the podcast on and off and I was talking to my mom about that and she was like, oh, well, she must know you very well. And I, yeah, mum, you could know me really well too. Exactly. Yeah. And then she kind of followed that up with, well, I think I'm going to have to start listening to it. And I was like, please do, please do. So kind of off the back of difficult conversations with our parents, what do your parents think about the podcast? Have they listened? Yeah, they've both listened to the podcast, which has been really nice actually. And uh, sometimes we don't remember what we've put in episodes and my easiest way of figuring that out is to just text my mum and be like, did we tell this story (laughs) previously? Because she knows. (laughs) Because she knows and she listens every week. Um, And my dad has also been listening. Um, We had to have like a a conversation um, actually before the podcast even came out. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, he called me and uh, we we had like done an interview basically and we had just put in like a throwaway line that um, our parents aren't equipped to deal with the multiplicity of our existences. Mm. Cute buzzwords. And my dad had read that and he wanted to talk to me about it. And I guess from his perspective wanted to explain 
all the context of what was going on during my childhood that maybe like I didn't know about or kind of why they had made some of the decisions that they had made um, in terms of like, you know, my connection to Iranian community because I haven't, I didn't really have it growing up like at all. Anyway, I think my dad wanted to have a conversation and like good for him to be honest to like ring me and bring it up because that would have been really difficult for him as well. Yeah, fuck you. And I think I'm like really conscious when we're making the podcast that I speak a lot about like my mum and Mm. like I don't talk as much about my dad and that's probably hurtful. True, 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 true. I'm wondering what he had to say. I think he was just explaining that – like they were really isolated, like they didn't have a lot of family support, and um, well, and they had to survive and make money and live. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, kind of like what we've talked about with your mum, like she didn't have the capacity. Like I think he was basically saying we didn't have the capacity. Oh, and how did that make you feel? Well, I'm crying right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it made me feel. Sad for him, I think. Like, do you think that he thought that you were undermining the choices that he made or that you didn't understand? Yeah, I think he, yeah, I think he felt like, um, yeah, I didn't appreciate fully what had been going on. And, um, like, I think it's it's hard to be the white parent, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like not your culture to pass on. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm really conscious that we like constantly say like, you're not half, you're double, but like we spend the majority of our time talking about like, well, from my perspective, I feel like I talk a lot more about my mum's family Mm. and that's like only half of the picture, but it's because the other half of the picture is white and that is the dominant culture and I grew up in Australia and I like... And I wonder if I had been Iranian-Australian and grown up in Iran and we were making this podcast, (laughs) whether um, I would be like searching and searching for the Australian part of myself Mm. or whether – actually, no, that wouldn't be the case because like white is the norm and so Mm. that's always going to be the dominant and then – I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's really difficult because I think part of the reason why my mum feels some type of way about this is also because in to- in talking about the Māori part of me, I kind of sweep all of her efforts under the rug, which is definitely not what I intend to do. And I think it's more from the point of view that you're coming from is that because white is so – it's everywhere – Yes. It's it's everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> like that's, you know, um, it's so pervasive that it is easier to discard talking about it. <sighs> I feel like we have to, like we need to do a, like a public service announcement for the parents of the people that have been interviewed, right? Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I guess a peek behind the curtain, when we go through the process of like, interviewing someone, editing their episode, creating all of our content, you know, we kind of like deep dive into 
whoever that person is and their life in a really intense way for a short period, especially when you're like editing the episode, you feel like you're like hanging out with them a lot because you're like listening to it repetitively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's quite cute. And maybe that's why we feel so close to them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true, true, true. But um, so we go through this kind of intensive period with this person and we're in communication with them a lot. Mm. And then we release the episode and it goes into the world. And then all of a sudden – we're not listening to the episode, <laughs> mm. but everybody else is. It's like a bubble. We create this safe little bubble yes. with ourselves and our guests. And then when we release it into the world, the bubble pops. And then so sometimes good, nice things happen and people are like, wow, I've never heard you talk about this before. And it's so interesting to hear this about your life. And then, you know, the good comes. And of course, the bad's not far behind. so you know we've even had some conversations within ourselves and within Mm -hmm. our friends and wider community um where it's been like oh what (laughs) give me an example oh this one might be a bit on the nose so I was talking to somebody um they called me and I answered the phone and I said hello blah 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 you know just like oh surprised that this person's calling me and the first thing they say is, oh, I better not say anything stupid. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> what a weird way to <laughs> um, start the call. Um, oh, I was just listening to your podcast and you said white people say stupid shit to me all the time. And I was like, great, 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 great. So is this how this conversation is going to go? And then, of course, that person proceeded to say something extremely <laughs> stupid, uh, not in relation to our podcast, but in relation to something else. But, yeah, that was – that was a really like I was just like t- it came out of the blue, yeah. Um, it was like weaponizing my own words against me, yeah. So if I'm getting that, my Hanuman and what our darling guests are getting as well, you know, just like a general PSA, um, is that when you're listening to these things, I think that the way people remember things is different. And it might be the truth for them, but it might not be the truth for you. Um, so got to keep that in mind. And neither of them are more val- or less valid. Like yeah. that's the other thing. The two truths can ex- coexist next to each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one PSA. Um, I think another PSA is maybe don't approach a situation from a defensive or hurt point of view. Yeah. Because you know, the the person that you know has engaged in an interview with us that's incredibly vulnerable talking about something that, you know, might be hard for them to talk about, um, might not be something they talk about with a lot of the uh, white people in their lives because they don't know how it's going to go down. So if you come at them from a defensive, from a hurt point of view, you're proving their point that you're not a safe person for them to discuss this stuff with. And that might close some doors in the relationship that you have with that person. So I think you need to be really considerate of how you approach maybe discrepancies in memory or, you know, things that were said in the episode. I think another thing is that it's a privilege for you guys to sit in on these conversations We're having these conversations so that you can hear about our experiences as mixed-race people. That's not something that is often highlighted in the media, right? And travelling the boundaries of those two worlds, or more worlds, 
is really hard. It's really, really hard for that person and for us to do. And so you get to be a fly on the wall of this conversation. And I think that it's safer for you to be a fly on the wall to our conversation than it is for us to be a fly on the wall for a conversation of white people. (laughs) Absolutely. Right? So you're learning from this. It's a learning experience. It's not an attack. Yeah, it isn't a criticism. I Mm. think that's something that... Like really, I would say to anyone that is listening who is a friend, a family member of anyone that we've interviewed and has heard something that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, it isn't about you. It's not, yeah. And it's literally that person's processing of things that have occurred to them at that particular moment in time like we are not stagnant our views on identity are not stagnant they're changing all the time and so are our guests and you know we're capturing them at a particular point and those things evolve and so respect that and look we as you know especially as a mixed race person with white in our mix right Mm -hmm. this happens to us too yeah. where we maybe feel uncomfortable in certain situations. We hold privilege too. Mm-mm. And we know how uncomfortable it is to hold privilege in that way and to hold white – we've got a bit of white privilege. Of course. Yeah. And that – I fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it and I benefit from it. Yeah. And those two things can exist at the same time. But I'm not going to go and attack somebody for te- for calling me out for my white privilege because it's true. Yeah. I'm going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm going to feel it. Yeah, and this whole process is essentially us, like, making ourselves feel uncomfortable. (laughs) So uncomfortable. (laughs) Always. And so, like, just listen, (laughs) please. Yeah. So, to my parents, like, Mm. I know it's difficult. One of you is Australian, one of you is Iranian. Neither of you are mixed race. Yep. You have had to raise me in... Country Victoria with a whole range of shit going on, Mm. I know. I absolutely know that. And I know that neither of you can fully understand my experience in the same way that I can't fully understand yours. Yep. But I'm grateful for that difference. Like, and that's that's what makes being in my family interesting. We are three very different people from very different backgrounds with very different things to bring, you know. I'm totally comfortable being like to pull my dad up on something and he's totally comfortable to pull me up on it and you know and mum too like Mm. that's just the way that it goes so I get like that's that's how I'm feeling and I don't um I would never want them to feel as if this podcast is me in some ways being like meh you didn't teach me Persian, you didn't, you know, like raise me in a particular way. It's not about that because if they didn't do those things that I wouldn't be who I am now and I'm grateful to be who I am now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, you know, you can talk about like in in my particular instance, one of my parents doesn't know that this exists. (laughs) We think. We like periodically check. You can see where people are listening from. We periodically check for the town (laughs) just just to check. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, and someone from that town listened and I was like, surely it's not. Surely it's not him. I don't think he can work his phone. Um, (laughs) 
Fingers crossed. Uh, love you, Dad. Love you so much. I really, really do love you. Got to call you soon. Um, but, you know, I have to keep this information concealed from one of my parents. Um, and, I mean, that's in and amongst a lot of things that I keep concealed from that parent. And, you know, I can do that and still love him. Yeah. And then, on the other hand, I can feel a bit peeved at my mum that she can't bring herself to listen to this podcast because it makes her feel uncomfortable. And I can also give her grace because a lot of things in her life have made her feel uncomfortable and she she tries her best to avoid those things. So if this happens to be one of those things, then hey, it hurts, but like she's got to do what she's got to do, right? And I, you know, that doesn't stop her from being one of the most important people in my world and doesn't stop me from loving her. So, Kate, after a bunch of episodes of this podcast and all of these beautiful conversations that we've had, I'm really interested to know what being Persian means to you. I'm going to tell you five silly things that make me Persian. (laughs) One is my, like, insane love of patterned, over-the-top, sparkly clothes. And that you <laughs> and that all those things are always mixed together. Um, my mum was staying with me, and I went and bought like a sparkly jacket from an op shop, and she was like, "Oh my god, you are so Persian." Sometimes that's so cute because you're just like, "I'm trying my mum my clothes," and she's like, "Girl, yeah." She thinks she's insulting me, and I'm out here taking it as a compliment. Two, I love dancing. We've talked about Persian house parties. Yeah, that makes me Persian. Three. I, like, desperately need to get to the airport 17 hours before my flight. And that is 100% linked and 100% a stereotype of, like, Persian parents, like, pulling you out of the door at 7 a.m. when your flight is at 4 p.m. So that somehow got to me. Four, me being loud and confident and all of that kind of thing, I really see in a lot of Persians. It's funny because... Persian or like Farsi is a very polite language it's a lot of like oh I insist like there's a there's a stereo there's this is there's a stereotype of um when you get offered something the first time you say no and then you you must be offered again and then you say yes and my mom has this funny story that like one of the first times that she um spent time with my dad's family they like offered her dinner and she said no and then she didn't eat because they didn't offer again (laughs) Oh, no. So there's a lot of like that kind of funny, like polite bullshit in Farsi, which is hilarious in the context of like so many of the Persians I know being so over the top. Mm. Mm. But like love it, loud and proud. And the last is my like love of goss of the day. (laughs) So if um, you don't personally know me, it's a thing that – I often will like ask my friends, like, what's your gossip of the day? <laughs> I feel like our podcast is really heavily based on gossip. <laughs> Maybe our podcast is Persian too. <laughs> our podcast is just gossip of the day. I'm not interested in people who aren't interested in gossiping. <laughs> well, I have like read a bunch of stuff because I obviously love gossip. And I've read a bunch of stuff about how like gossip has we- been weaponized. Like it's just trying to the, – the term gossip is trying to disincentivize women talking about issues that affect them and kind of like unionize them. 
Of course. So gossip is a radical act. You heard it here first at Being Biracial. And that's why our podcast is mainly about family gossip. (laughs) The podcast about gossiping about being mixed race. (laughs) And what that means for both parts of your family. (laughs) But like, so I say all of those things are things that make me Persian, but fucked if I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not like a definition, right? No, and I think like... Uh, during Persian New Year, I was like growing my wheatgrass for the first time. Wow. And it was a success. You're a farmer. I am a farmer. You don't know how much effort I put into that small, tiny piece of grass. But it was really funny because I was doing it for the first time and then one of my Persian friends was also trying to grow wheatgrass at the same time for the first time. And it was like such a cute moment. Hers failed. Sorry. And um, yeah, like like little points of connection and solidarity, which would otherwise seem really trivial, like feel really special in a way that I wouldn't have uh, recognized previously. But like, obviously, I still have massive, how dare I talk about this experience when I have been to Iran once and have such a limited connection to what it means to be Iranian but whatever I'm out here processing well yeah (laughs) yeah big big processing on the airwaves vibes coming from us um but I also think it's like what 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 is the representation that you're seeing especially in Australian media of Persians not much nothing never yeah so I think it is important because somebody else out there might be like what the heck who am I? What's my identity? And I think it's valuable to see somebody also being like, (gasps) yeah. And I guess, um, there is a lot to think about. Like there are so many things that I know that I haven't even begun to process. Maybe some processing time while we're on break. I don't know. What are you going to be up to? Do you want to tell people? Yeah. So I have quit my job, my legal job. Yay! And I am going traveling for three months, which is very weird that that is possible, but I'm very excited. I am going to see my family in LA. When was the last time you saw them? I don't know, like maybe three years ago, pre-pandemic, maybe like longer, maybe like four years ago. I'm not sure. It feels like, what is time? Um, Are you going to have to wear a bodycon dress and go out clubbing? Is that what the Iranians in LA do? (laughs) Shaz of Sunset, hit me up. (laughs) (laughs) So all of my aunts live in LA and my uncles live in Iran. Um, And uh, some of my cousins and more extended family and that kind of thing are all in LA. So that's going to be really nice, you know, because my mum is like the baby of the family or one of the littlest. Um, Her sisters are getting older and I feel like, you know, now that my grandma has passed, the stories and the history kind of sits with them. Mm, Yeah. So like very important to have time and space together. But I have been going through the process of just applying to go to the US and... (sighs) This is my my second time applying for a visa and um, 
Australian citizens, ordinarily when you go to the US, you pay $14 and you get a visa waiver. That's part of our like passport privilege is that it's really easy for us to go to countries like the US. If you have visited Iran since 2011, you are unable to go to the US on a visa waiver. You have to go through an application process. You have to pay essentially 300 US dollars and go through an interview process, get fingerprinted, the whole thing. Like there's so much paperwork. And the first time this happened to me, I was actually traveling. I applied for my US visa in Berlin. And so I went through this like whole horrific process. I had like prepared all these answers about like why why I had visited Iran, where I had gone, all those kinds of things. But obviously, as soon as I walk in, Miss White Kate Robinson, it was fine. There was no drama. The interview was so easy, essentially. What? And it just made me so angry that myself and everybody who has ever visited Iran has to, has to go through this process. And then, so it was, at the time I was super angry about it and mm. I felt like really racialized in a way that I hadn't previously. Mm. And felt discriminatory and it felt racist and then so you get the you get the visa for five years and um that visa has now expired so now I have had to apply again and I just want to read you some screenshots of some of the questions what are they looking for they're looking for terrorists (laughs) (laughs) and they think they're gonna find them with paperwork do you seek to engage in terrorist activities while in the United States (laughs) Or have you ever engaged in terrorist activities? Yes or no? Have you ever ordered, incited, committed, assisted, or otherwise participated in genocide? Yes or no? (laughs) Have you ever committed, ordered, incited, assisted, or otherwise participated in torture? Yes or no? It's so absurd. Have you ever engaged in the recruitment or the use of child soldiers? Yes or no? What? As if somebody who's done any of those things would be like, yep, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it's for their purpose of like, if they then discover it, then they can also get you for like lying on a government document. But But to have to fill out, to have to basically say, no, I am not a terrorist. No, I have not committed genocide. No, I have not recruited child soldiers for literally pages and pages is so offensive on the basis of having visited Iran in 2011. Okay. So you said that you felt – the first time that you went through this process that you felt racialized in a way that you haven't before. Do you feel like that's part of the prism or, or it makes up part of how you feel about or what you would define as being Persian? Yeah, I think f- especially for um, Persians that live elsewhere – So like I've talked about previously, I think September 11 is something that for a lot of people that are born in the 90s, early 2000s is like a pivotal moment in like creating your identity in opposition to like whiteness Mm -hmm. because of that experience of discrimination. And I think that, you know, like for my mum's generation, the Iran hostage crisis in 1979 was also that moment. And so she talks about like, restaurants having signs that said like no dogs or Iranians like may enter here um so I think we go through these moments in time 
that really you experience discrimination, you're heavily racialized. And so, yeah, September 11 is that for me. And then also, yeah, going through like these kind of administrative processes. And I have read two books. One is called Coming of Age in the War on Terror and one is called The Limits of Whiteness. And both of those really focus on, yeah, the the way that experiencing di- discrimination uh, – yeah, brings people together in their experiences, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coming of Age on the War of Terror really looks at school children, for instance, in um, Western Sydney. And there's a part that I really like where she gets them to – It's a, she's interviewing them uh, at the time that Childish Gambino's song This Is America comes out. Oh. And she gets them to rewrite This Is America about their experiences. So this is by – Aisha, who's 17, Afghani-Australian and Muslim. This is Australia. People think all Muslims are the same, that we're all terrorists or girls in scarves without a brain. They hear it all in the news. I was born on 11 September 2002, first anniversary of 9-11. No one in my family forgets my birthday because no one in my family forgets 9-11. Oh, I have goosebumps. Yeah, it's fucking epic. So The Limit of Whiteness um, is all about Iranian-Americans and everyday and the everyday politics of race. And um, basically the whole book is just asking the question, are Persians white? <laughs> so, like, I had to go and read a whole book because I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Still. And the answer is, no, I am not white. And then... Actually, my reflection after creating this podcast is that I wouldn't call myself a person of colour. Oh. What would you call yourself? Well, I think um, Frankie Lai, who we interviewed um, some many moons ago, her and I had a conversation and she was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with the way that I described identifying as a person of colour and so we had a long chat about it and I was like I don't feel comfortable either and yeah she was the one that gave me this language of being racialized and I think yeah I think that's where I'm sitting at the moment I think I am super white and so like how dare I take up that space is kind of where I'm at Hmm. but then where do you sit are you white I think I'm Persian and I'm Australian and a lot of the book talks about how like there's a lot of myths around Mm. whether we are white or not like there's an there's the Aryan myth yeah yeah and it's something that has been passed down um, from like parents generations and grandparents generations to us as kind of a way honestly to protect against racism that kids are experiencing. And so, like, it's just really funny because she interviews a lot of young people and she's like, <laughs> obviously you're not going to come up against a school bully who's like, oh, my God, like, go back to where you come from and be like, actually, I'm like the superior Aryan race. Did you know <laughs> that the origin of the word Aryan comes from the same origin of the word Iran, which actually is a is a myth? Um, but it's, like, not actually an effective <laughs> way to deal with school bullies and, like, obviously, fuck Hitler. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, didn't think we were going to say that on this podcast, but yeah, okay. Didn't think we weren't going to say it, but just surprised. So I guess like it's funny for me to have that thing where I'm like, I'm not white and I know it, but also I feel really uncomfortable with saying I'm a person of colour. But I guess cutting straight to it and saying that you're Persian and that you are Australian kind of cuts out that, like, you're not going to say, you're not going to walk around and say, I'm not white, but I am white. You know, saying Persian, saying Australian to me, I can see those two things side by side and see you in them. Yeah, and I just, I just want to take the colour out of it. Yeah. The, uh, the colour for me, as someone who is white passing or white or mm. whatever, like that's, it seems weird. And obviously your experience is different because you're brown. Oh, yeah, I'm brown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm brown as, yeah. <laughs> Let's not compare tans in the summer. Oh. Don't do that to me. It's just funny because I've always been told that I have like olive skin. Um, you don't not. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I do, but like, so do Italians. <laughs> yeah, and would we call them white? I don't know. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I, I think, but then again, it's like if we are going by, because Persian isn't tied to a nation. Am yeah. I right? No. W- where does Persian come from? Is that is that saying the whole Persian Gulf or whatever it is? Persian, well, Persia like links to modern day Iran, but it comes from like the Persian Empire. So, like, sometimes actually people saying that their Persian is a bit of a flex, to be honest, because we were such a dominant force at that time. Like, so it's a bit of a, like, meh. But it's complicated because the government is so shit now. Yeah, of course you don't want to, like, connect to an oppressive government. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I think for me, taking the colour out of it is where I want to be. And I think, like, terms like racialized um, better fit with where I'm at. And I, and I didn't feel this way at the start of this podcast, but we've had so many conversations about whiteness or not. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And whereas for me, it's like very important that I, I don't want to determine the, you know, my brown identity against whiteness, but I do have to. And that's why I would be okay with calling myself a person of colour. But first and foremost, I'm Māori. Do you think you're biracial? Yeah. Yeah. You identify as biracial, I guess I should say. So I think part of me doesn't want to. A big part of me is like, nah, girl, you're just Māori. Like, that's it. That's what it is. But I can't – doing that is kind of similar to what you were saying about your dad earlier is that often we talk about our our mums or we talk about the minority – part of ourselves more than we talk about the white part of ourselves and I think to say that I'm just Māori would be swiping out the whole the fact that she raised me that she raised me in a white town as a white person for 18 years like single-handedly for at least 13 of those so yeah, I, that's why I would say I was biracial. But if I was raised by both of my parents, A, I'd be dead. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be here. Uh, but <laughs> That answers the question, is Maria's dad listening to this podcast? It's a no. That's a no. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, 
But if I was raised by both of my parents in like a nice home, um, I would just say that I'm Māori. Cool story. Well, we're creating a podcast called Being Biracial and Maria's maybe not biracial and Kate is not a woman of colour. <laughs> we're on the fence. We are on the fence being messy. <laughs> I think it's okay not to know. <laughs> yeah, same. And I think the language isn't here yet. Yeah. And I think we're not there yet. So we've talked a lot about how, like what it means for me to be Persian. What does it mean for you to be Māori? I think being Māori is very tied to the land. So... Aotearoa. So I was having a discussion with one of my friends here, who's also Māori, and we were kind of talking about what it is to be a Māori and part of the diaspora and what it means to be a visitor here, even though I live here and this is where my life is and this is probably where I'll live for a long time, what it means for me to be here as a visitor, because that's what I am. I'm I'm Manuhiri, which means visitor, on the Aboriginal lands. That's what I am. So, I don't know. It's a really hectic question because I, because being Māori is so tied to land, Tūrunga Waiwai, which is like a place to put your feet. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, it's beautiful. I actually haven't been like to... Your marae. Yeah, to my marae and to the ancestral lands of my iwi and of my wider Fano, even when I was living in New Zealand. So I do feel a little bit, I still feel really disconnected. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what being Māori means to me. I mean, obviously I'm brown. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know... It's very spoiler alert, and that, and that is what explains is that I'm Maori. But I think beyond that, I think there's the legacy of colonization that my that has been stamped on my family through the abuse that has been perpetuated from from what I know of through generations of my family. Um, Do you know your dad's? Parents, mm. were they both Māori? Yes. And they weren't great. His dad died when – my granddad died when dad was like five, like really young. Mm. Um, and his mother was an alcoholic from what I know. Yeah. Um, I can trace the ba- – I can trace the whakapapa, so the family tree, back to – um, an interracial couple. Ooh, actually. get them on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's a Maori woman, Tioki, and um, she shacked up with a an American whaler. Oh, yeah. He like boosted off his ship. Was like, oh my Bye. god, yeah. Another ship story. I feel I like being biracial is also like low key people About boats. jumping off boats. <laughs> yeah, but this was like the eighteen forties, where like whaling boats were abound. So. She hooked up with, I can't remember what um, his white people name was, but um, he kind of defected from his whaling ship 
and just shacked up with this Māori woman. And then they had a bunch of kids. Um, and then, so this is probably like four or five generations ago in my family. Wow. Yeah. For me, like, papa. obviously, my genealogy and my blood, I'm Māori. That is how I am Māori. But beyond that, I do all these things that are very classically Māori traits, like I'm a tutu. Like I just like muck around and do <laughs> a bunch of different things. How do you at say all tutu? Times. Yeah, it's like T-U-T-U. So like people would say that to kids all the time, be like, don't be a tutu, you know, like <laughs> like my dad used to say that to me all the time. But like I'm a big tutu. I just have my hand, my fingers in heaps of pies. That's a very Māori thing to do. So there, there are heaps of little things that like I take my shoes off at the door. That's what you do at Marais. And at my house. <laughs> yeah, you have a big stack of shoes at your front door. Absolutely. And if you're not taking off your shoes, I am judging you. <laughs> I can sing and I sing and music just comes out of me all the time. That's a very Māori thing. That was one of my favourite things about interviewing your brother, that you just both were constantly singing. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of things um, about me that are Māori beyond my papa. Mm. Um, but yeah, I am at the moment trying to figure out how to be a manuhiri here, like a visitor here. Um, and another part of being a visitor here is on somebody else's land. As I was chatting with my friend Petty about this, uh, in Western Sydney, there's a group of Maori people who are who got funding from the council to create a marae. Um, which I think is really divisive. It's really mm-hmm. divided a lot of people because there's like a shitload of Maldives in Australia. Yeah. Like heaps and heaps and heaps, especially in those like fly in, fly out centres. There's shitloads. Yeah. And being Maldi is really heavily related to the land. But if you were born in Australia as a Maldi person, do you have a connection to Aotearoa? You know, like wow. how does that, how do you reconcile that? So is the Marae supposed to be for those people? Well, yeah. Or apparently. Anyone. And so I'm a bit iffy about it because, yeah, that that is a thing that our people do is like you can chart the migration of Pacific peoples all through from Hawaii down to Aotearoa. You can chart it with their gathering places like Marae. You can chart it with their um, like Urupas, their cemeteries, all of these things language as well all through the Pacific and technically yeah we are carrying on that legacy of being adventurers by moving somewhere like Australia but when the First Nations people here don't have a treaty don't have an enshrined voice in parliament don't you know have all of their injustices recognized in a meaningful way who the fuck are we to come in here and stamp our you know, our practices on the literal ground that Aboriginal people are still fighting for. So, I mean, and that and that group of Māoris probably consulted really heavily with the First Nations people of that area. But when I first saw it, I was like, cringe, that's coloniser behaviour, babes. Mm. But earlier you said, like, it's a place to put your feet. Mm. Which, like, there's something really nice about that statement in that it's, like, it's it's wherever you put your feet, in a way. Mm. Yeah. But, 
oh fuck, I don't know. I like, know. Yeah. Yeah. It's really contentious and yeah, it is colonization. It is. It is. And but I mean, at the same time, it's like you have all these Maori that were born here that don't have a connection to Aotearoa, but do have a connection to being Maori. Yeah. So it's very. It is super divisive. And also, who the fuck am I to be saying this shit? About? You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah I know. <sighs> it's really hard. It's really, really hard. I really struggled when I went to um, my grandparents' village because it's beautiful. Like, we have a lot of orchards, uh, like, a lot of walnuts and grapes and things like that. Um, and beautiful old mud brick houses. And, yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful place. And... I had a sense that I was like, as we've talked about, like going to the motherland Mm. um, and going to like have this exploratory kind of experience. And I, because my Farsi isn't good and especially in the village, they speak the Turkic, Turkish Farsi dialect. dialect. Um, So I wasn't really like a participant in a lot of conversations. And so I was like writing in my journal a lot and I was, like, wanting to, like, go out and walk and, like, just think and be and, yeah, like, have a place to put my feet. And my uncle was like, no, it's not safe for you as a single, like, female. You you must be accompanied at all times. Your feet must be covered. <laughs> and I was like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. This is not what I thought I want to be. <laughs> so I just, like... Yeah, just had an escort everywhere, which is like classic, absolute classic, like Return to the Motherland story of like Instagram versus reality. Isn't it so interesting that we talk about motherland and mother tongue? Yeah. Like it's the maternal side that is emphasised in that. Well, and I honestly like our mothers, the carriers of culture. Yeah. Because like, I mean, our experiences are really different. Yeah. Because your mother is the, well, not person of colour, but she's the person, if we're thinking about your, (laughs) your mother is the Persian person Mm. and my mother is white. Yeah. And I guess I'm curious about the biracial people who aren't listening to this podcast because it doesn't feel like it's accessible to them or for them. Well, my oldest brother, Jason, I don't think he listens. Why don't you think he listens? Uh... I don't think he cares. Do you think that Jason sees race? Or like sees himself as like raceless? Yeah. I think he, yeah. I think he sees himself without race. Fuck. Yeah, that's fucked as I. But like honestly, if I talk to him about it though, he'll probably, he's a very soft man. So I think he probably would be like, no, I'm (laughs) Maori. I feel like, yeah, there are a whole portion of people who, yeah, yeah, see themselves without race and that's fine. Well, and it's easier. I've done it. But also like our podcast is obviously self-selecting because obviously you're only going to come on being biracial if you're thinking about being biracial, not (laughs) coming on if you think like you don't see race. We aren't going out being like, you're biracial. (laughs) You must be on our podcast. No, obviously not. Stupid. Yeah, and I and I think like people have said to me, people that I've run into have been like, oh, like I haven't listened yet because I think it's going to be too much. And 
yeah, it is a lot sometimes and it's not a lot sometimes. So it's like we need to be taking up spaces. We need to be telling stories. But also at the same time, it's like telling these stories about race and about those various intersections of our identities. Like it does feel like extractive. Yeah, I am exhausted. Yeah, we have to we have to dig out all of these deep, deep parts of ourselves and these scary parts of ourselves and expose them to people. And it's like it it is extractive to tell, you know, the most racist experience that you've had in your life. It is extractive to to talk about and to flesh out your relationship to your identity. But it's also like really meaningful and like a point of connection, like you were saying about the limits of whiteness, how the discrimination and the experiences that are hard bring people together. Mm. And I think to be honest, I, before we started having these conversations with people and before I started talking to you about this stuff, I hadn't processed or even begun to process any of the racist shit. From my life. Mm. And like, so I hadn't actually, like, I wasn't like sitting around having conversations being like, you know what was really hard? 9-11. <laughs> like, I just, I honestly hadn't. And it's been funny because some of my friends, white friends, have been like talking about things mm. that have come up in the podcast and about like not realising that they know a bunch of biracial people or that a bunch of people that they know would have gone through racist shit. But I was like, Girl, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead, literally, inst- until I literally started talking about this every week. <laughs> yeah, just because I'm not surprised doesn't mean that I like knew <laughs> exactly the extent of this. Yeah, and I think those. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but those kind of like garbage, trash, racist moments of my life, of which there are very, very many, 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 um, also like make it easier for me to see like to be grateful and to see joy and things as well um like I'm not just sitting here like resigned to the fact that people are going to be fucking racist to me like I'm like actively seeking out places that I can be myself and I'm you know saying things and speaking up in places that I wouldn't have before um, and I'm fucking creating a podcast about race, you know, <laughs> mm. to try and help other people see themselves and yeah. see that it's like messy and silly and funny mm. and heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. So I think one of the things that we've been kind of you skirting know, around the edges of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that we're talking a lot about, you know, maybe the more complex parts of this podcast. But this is something that we've put to our last couple of guests is joy and the importance of joy. And so how do you think that has come through in this project? I think that for me, being biracial is, as we've discussed, like it's about our whole selves. And so that is like racial trauma on one side (laughs) and equally – Silly, joyful, gossipy, colourful, Kate. And those Mm. two things coexist and make me who I am. 
And I see that so clearly in all of our guests. Like we have a silly conversation. Like you just have to. There's so much absurd shit that happens to us every single day. Yeah. Every day, like I'm like one bad email away from – like one racist email away from being like, fuck this shit. Like, <laughs> what is white people's problem? Hello? So we've got to laugh about it, right? You've got to laugh about it. But then also, like, I equally love the absurdity of me seeing myself in Looking for La Brandy, even though they're Italian. And, like, <laughs> everybody has that story. You know, we've. People have seen themselves not only in the Spice Girls, but in the Yellow Power Ranger, but <laughs> in Lucy Liu in Charlie's Angels. Like, we are despo and it's funny. Yeah, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very funny. <laughs> what about for you? So, I think similarly to what you've said about, you know, racial trauma on one side and joy on the other, I think I'm, like, inherently a very silly and – um like loud and joyful person. Um, So being able to bring that to discussions about race, we're talking about bringing our whole self, right? Mm. Um, Yeah, I couldn't have, I couldn't sit down and have a serious conversation for too long. I've got to chuck in a joke. Yeah. We've got to crack some gags. Yeah. Um, And I think it's been really fun to do that. But, you know, I've also gotten a lot of joy from, you know, holding the space for our guests mm. and seeing them bring their full selves as well. That that makes me really, really happy. Um, but, no, I think and is the word that I'm looking for. Mm. And I have found a lot of joy in working with you in Aww. this project. Yeah. In our matching little pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We accidentally show up places matching. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I feel like we have managed to balance our friendship mm. and the demands of this project that we started ourselves um, together in a really beautiful way. And I think mm. over the course of this, like, year and a half that we've been doing this project, we are really close. And yeah. I love that. So yeah. I think that's a big source of joy in my life is being your friend. Oh, so I'm really going to miss you while you're away. I will miss you too. I mean, it's not as if we're not going to be in constant contact. (laughs) We're just going to be in slightly different time zones. So it won't be as instantaneous (laughs) as it normally is. I'm also going to miss yarning and chatting on the podcast. I'm going to miss putting this out in the world. But again, we are going to be back. Yeah. We've got some events coming later in the year, which is super exciting. Yes. Keep an eye on our social media for those. Um, yeah, and I hope you guys, um, you know, have some hard conversations and find some joy while we're on our break. Absolutely. It's been the most important project of my life by far. It just feels so special. Me too, me too, me too. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening. Every single listen, every single message, every single like moment of solidarity feels incredible. Love ya. Love you. This podcast is hosted, edited and produced by us, Kate Robinson and myself, Maria Birch-Mordonga. Just two wahini out here making a podcast. 
The music that you're listening to is by the Green Twins and this is their amazing song, Take It Slow. I can't tell you how often this song is in my head and it is beautiful. The harmonies. Thank you, Nick. (laughs) Thank you, Jess. (laughs) This work was developed on the lands of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so much. This project is supported through the Maribyrnong City Council Community Grants Program and the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. We also want to thank Auspicious Arts for their help. And Footscray Community Arts. They're our original home and gave us our first ever space to create a podcast. And, you know, we can't thank them enough. We absolutely love hearing from you. While we're taking a break from the pod, you will be able to find us on Instagram at Being Biracial Podcast. And of course, you can always send us an email at beingbiracialpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like this episode, why not subscribe? Bye for now. See you soon. Thank you.